I'm joined now by Gary from OPC Energy. Gary, what a job you did out there today. Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. You saw the customers' faces when that boiler went in. It was a really special moment. And what about the overall performance? Unreal. You, you could really feel the heat out there. I'm delighted with the result and we move on to the next one. Thanks, Gary. Come on! For more information on boiler upgrades, heat pumps and more, visit opc-ltd.uk. Get ahead of the game with OPC Energy. This is the Go Radio Football Show with OPC Energy Limited. Hosted by Rob McLean and Stephen Cregan. You can almost reach out and touch the tension among England supporters as their battle for a place in the Euro 2020 quarterfinals gets underway at Wembley. It is underway. It's three minutes in. Uh, We're quite chilled, though, here at the Go Radio Football Show. Rob McLean and Stephen Cragen with you for the next hour. It's not two hours tonight, Crags. It's one. uh, So you're going to have to just pace yourself accordingly. Are you going to be able to handle this okay? I'm sure we'll be fine. There's always plenty to get through in Scottish football, of course, then with England playing as well. I can imagine the masses listening to this radio station will be hoping for a German win. So hopefully they can deliver for them. And it looks like Germany off to a pretty good start as well. What are you thinking about the game? What were you thinking when you saw the teams? How's it going to go? I was thinking cautious Gareth Southgate. You know, he's playing a back three. He's playing two wing backs who are traditionally full backs. People will tell me they attack. That's fine. But they're, they're, your kind of biggest attributes are defending Trippier and uh, Luke Shaw. He's gone with two holding midfield players. So that's a back seven. He didn't leave it up to 19-year-old Saka, who hasn't played an awful lot. Raheem Sterling, whose club form has been patchy. Of course, he scored two goals in the tournament so far for England. And a centre-forward and captain who hasn't scored. So I think he's a little bit cautious. And I'm sure there's plenty of people out there, managers out there would think, imagine having a squad with that quality and going with a back seven, Rob. So I think he's been ultra-cautious. I think England are more worried about Germany than Germany are worried about England. Germany will be rubbing their hands and thinking the pressure and the focus is all on the home side and we can go and do our stuff. Good to have you with us and uh, good to have you listening. If you want to also be talking while you're listening, 0808 17 17 700. Tonight's going to have to go some to rival last night's Euro action for goals and all-round craziness. Both games were three goals each after 90 minutes. Spain beat Croatia 5-3 after extra time. Switzerland knocked out France on penalties. So England against Germany right now on the screen in the studio and you could be watching it and listening to us at the same time. And the last game in the last 16 is at Hamden. Tonight's an 8 o'clock kickoff, uh, and I'm hitting there for Sweden against Ukraine. Have you changed your view about Scotland's performance after the Czech Republic beat Netherlands on Sunday. And we've just heard, of course, in the news from Joe that uh, Frank de Boer has inevitably gone as head coach of the Dutch. And, of course, Croatia gave Spain that big fright last night. Um, so maybe it just gives us a little bit of perspective, Crags, with which to look back on Scotland's performance, beaten at Hamden, of course, by both those teams. Yeah, well, you know... that He said clutching at straws. Yeah, uh, the Czech Republic won as well as they played last night. Uh, I don't think there's any comfort in the fact that they beat Scotland. So, uh, you know, Czech Republic then beat the Netherlands. So that means it was acceptable. I still believe that was the one game where Scotland should have focused all their energy, all their focus and going and winning, Rob. Ultimately, you know, they had chances in the game. They didn't play as well as what they wanted. The team selection wasn't what everyone thought it should be. I just think that was the game that got away because we ain't, when you end up playing Croatia uh, in match day number three, and they're a good side. They know they have to win also. That was going to be the toughest one. 
So I think still, yes, they will look back and think we could have done better, albeit, yes, Czech Republic have played well, but that was the one game Scotland should have targeted. Go and win the first game, then everything's in their own hands. So uh, major disappointment still. Just looking at pictures of Gareth Southgate uh, on the TV in here, uh, six and a half minutes into that game at Wembley. I think they were expecting around about 43,000. Of course, no travelling German fans, so I think there are only there's only about 1,800 UK-based uh, German fans. But certainly, uh, in the bit of the game that I've been able to watch, and you from your angle can maybe see a little yeah. bit more, it's very much Germany on the front foot. And, I mean, what about that? What about that? That England selection. Um, it does. It, it does scream out concern. And uh, Germany could be onto something here. They've they've introduced Goretzka um, and Timo Werner as well. So that, so they've got real pace. They've, they've got a fair bit of attacking verve about them. And I wonder what colour of card is coming out here. It's yellow. Yeah, it's Declan Rice. It'll be interesting. I'm not too sure if VAR can have a look back at that. There was potential thoughts of him being the last player. Denana goal, clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity. Well he would have got a shot off. Yeah. And if you can get a shot off in and around the 18-yard box, albeit Kyle Walker is coming back with him, but, you know, he has stopped, Declan Rice has stopped uh, Goretzka getting a shot off for a shot off from 18 yards. So, I, I'm surprised that's not denying a clear and obvious goal-scoring chance. He's got away with a yellow card, but, yeah, I think just England two midfield players with, with Declan Rice and, and Calvin Phillips, they're going to have a lot of ground to cover. The Germans with Tony Cruz in there and, and Goretzka, They've got good quality. I mean, you think of Thomas Muller and Havertz dropping in there as well. They could get overrun. And already that's what you're talking about. They're dominating the ball a little bit more. There's a bit more freedom about the Germans because I think the pressure's off and the pressure's all on England. Yeah. So if the Germans could get the first goal, suddenly it uh, just upsets the home side, no doubt about it. But this is a great opportunity where you're talking 19, 20 yards, Rob, with a free kick in the edge of the box. Yeah, and uh, the ref is just getting the wall back the, the appropriate distance. And of course, they, they have a, a double-barreled wall, if you like, because Calvin Phillips lies down on the deck behind the wall, just in case it's one of those ones that tries to sneak underneath. It's Tony Kroos, uh, the German midfielder, who is over at Kai Havertz, is in the vicinity as well. This uh, looks like a decent opportunity uh, early on for, for Germany. And as you were saying, you know, even the, the German public, the German media went into the whole to this tournament with very little hope and expectation about them. I think um, just because the the German team is lacking, they don't have a traditional number nine, maybe lacking pace in defence as well. But the, they've opened up at Wembley um, as a with a really positive start. That free kick, uh, the shot it was taken short and the shot fired into the wall. But um, they're camped into that final third at the moment. The Germans. They've got good players, Rob. They've got players who uh, have got vast experience, like Mats Hummels uh, and Tony Cruz. Kimmich is a young man making his way. Timo Werner and, and Kai Havertz won the Champions League this season. Thomas Muller has won the World Cup. He's won the Champions League. He's won, you know, umpteen domestic German titles. So, you know, yes, you can write them off or you can say they're maybe ageing or they're not the team they once were. But on that one-off occasion, they've got a big performance in them. You know, let's not forget, they beat Portugal 4-2 in the group. 4-2, comfortable 4-2, albeit they lost to France 1-0, didn't play particularly well against Hungary. So they've been a little bit inconsistent. But on their day, these guys know how to go and win big games of football. I'm not too sure the English team do. So I think that's why it'll put a little bit of fear into Gareth Southgate and his players. What did you make of those two games last night? I mean, um, once, what sort of price would you have got going into those two games that both would be three, three each after nine, 90 minutes? Well, first of all, Spain, you know, their last two games, 10 goals. And that was the one thing that was missing from their play in their opening two games. 
against Sweden and against Poland, you know, lacking that little clinical edge. So they seem to have hit form. Uh, you know, Croatia, dead and buried at 85 minutes, Robert. They kept going, you know, never let go, managed to get themselves to 3-3. And you think to yourself, wow, the momentum has really swung now towards the Croatians. But, you know, Spain aren't blessed with superstars. They're not blessed with world-class players, but they're a, they're a young and up-and-coming side who the managers put a lot of trust into. So for them to, you know, fall back to 3-3 and then go on and win 5-3 was a huge psychological uh, hurdle for them to get over. The France-Switzerland game was just absolutely phenomenal. Mm. You know, France, to be fair to them, didn't really play. I mean, 20, 25 minutes he played for over the 120. They scored three goals in that kind of spell. You think that's enough, but the Swiss were relentless. You know, at no stage did they give up. They kept going. Granit Xhaka was absolutely terrific, defending, attacking. He misses out now, I think, in the quarterfinal game. I think he got a booking, so he misses out, which would be a big blow for yeah. them. But uh, Mbappe, you know, there was a lot of noise made about him before the tournament. Didn't score in the competition. Looked as if he's a little bit about himself. He's changed a little bit his demeanour, his, his posture. Um, and I think you have to go and win major trophies before you can have the kind of arrogance that he has. When you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, he deserves to have it because yeah. he's won that many trophies. He's broke that many records. And Bappi's still a young man making his game. And I think, or sorry, making his way in the game. And this was the tournament where he was going to stand out, Rob. So I was disappointed with him overall. But listen, fair play to the Swiss. And I think it it was it was almost inevitable that because of the tournament Mbappe was having and the fact he hadn't scored so far that when he stepped up to take penalty number ten, uh, you kind of knew what was going to happen, and it did. It was a great save by Sommer, but but it wasn't a great penalty from him, and yeah. and he would have, as you say, I mean he he would have been expecting to have had a, an explosive yeah. impact in the tournament. Well, he was hoping to light it up. He was hoping to be the player that would come out of the tournament with a winner's medal, and people say right. He really now has shown that he's world class. He can do it in the you know European Championship stage. Of course, he's still a world class player. Or he will get to be a world class player. Um, but when the tournaments come around, that's when you have to deliver. And that's the one thing you look at Cristiano Ronaldo and people can criticise. He's selfish and he looks out for himself and he's a one man team at times. But he scores big goals in the big games. Rob, he you know he turns up when it really matters. Uh, you know when his country need him, when his club need him, he's delivered time after time. So Mbappe still has a long way to go. But uh, it's strange when you say that because when he did step up, I, I imagine most people thought, this is the one. He hasn't played well. He hasn't, you know, had the tournament they wanted. He still hasn't scored a goal. Will that stay with him? And unfortunately for him, you're right, Sommer, good save. But uh, I think overall, the French will be disappointed. At 3-1, they should have managed the game better. For me, the the media build-up has been just exactly what you expect it to be, what, what it is time after time, every couple of years, be at the Euros or, or, or be at the World Cup. And... Um, I mean, some of the broadcasting. I mean, it's it's been just English broadcasting. Um, any prospect, even even a game that's got nothing to do with England in a different part of the draw or whatever, um, they just managed to crowbar in a, a mention and and just they they just pile a lot of pressure on the team um, by by the by what they say. I mean, Rio Ferdinand's uh, stuff prior to the Scotland game was 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 classic, wasn't it? Well, they backed it up saying that, you know, they'll beat Germany also. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. On the basis of what, I'm not too sure. Listen, it does build it up. You know, the English feel as if, I wouldn't say they feel as if they've got a right to win the tournament, but, you know, they suddenly believe every tournament they're going to win. And there's not an awful lot in the last couple of years that's shown they are going to win it. You know, I think they've got some smashing young players. When you look at the talent who can't get on the, pit, on the pitch, when you look at Jack Grealish and, and Marcus Rashford, Guys, you can go and win games. Foden, Mason Mount, of course, Mason Mount was was uh, out and missing the last ten days because of his. He was a close contact. He is a Gilmer. miss, isn't he? He is. You know, but some smashing young players. But for some reason, the whole pressure of playing for England in a major tournament seems to suffocate them sometimes. And the press are relentless. 
you know, that's why I think the Germans will have been looking forward to coming to Wembley tonight, thinking they know what the English press are like. They know the pressure that goes on to the players. They'll be hard to play against. They'll keep the ball. They'll frustrate the supporters in the stadium, which then will bring the nerves onto the pitch for the England players. And because these players have been before, Robin, they've won big tournaments. They know how to compete. They know how to see the game out. They know how to manage the game and put the focus and the emphasis on the opposition. And the England, you know, the English players have to step up to it. But yeah, some of the coverage has been a bit, as we expect, over the top. Just looking at the two uh, lineups, in case you haven't got hold of the the team news, it's uh, it's 15 minutes in uh, Wembley, uh, England nil, Germany nil. The German team Neuer in goals, uh, Ginter, Hummels, and Rudiger as the back three: Kimmich, Kroos, Goretzka, and Gosens, who who's a, a player I've liked from what I've seen of him on down the left side for for Germany. Havertz and and Müller in behind Timo Werner. Um, and and what England have done, of course, is just matched up to to that same to that same shape, which uh, you know you would wonder whether it's playing at German hands by doing that. So England uh, with Pickford and goals, Walker, Stones, and Maguire as the three: uh, Trippier, Phillips, Rice, and Shaw. Uh, and as Craig's was saying, there you've got two fullbacks and and two holding midfielders in front in front of a back three, um, and then Saka and Sterling either side of of Harry Kane and. Uh, well, you would imagine Harry Kane desperate for a, for a goal. Um, as I'm just looking at it's Raheem Sterling, just had a that's shot. Sterling shot saved by by Neuer. But Harry Kane must be desperate to 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 get a goal. But he must have been pretty depressed when he looked at the team sheet and he thought, Where, "Where's the supply going to come from with yeah. with a back seven? The thing is, I think a lot of that side are predictable. You know, your rough idea what they're going to do, how they're going to play. See someone like Jack Grealish, who lights the game up, Rob. You've no idea what he's going to do. He can beat three men and put one in the top corner. He can, you know, put a pass in to slice open defences. I'm not too sure Raheem Sterling is like that. He, you know, he's more of a dribbler running on to things. Young Saka wants to come off and link up the play. So Harry Kane's thinking, who's going to slide the balls through for me? Who's going to put the ball down the side of Mats Hummels, who's not the quickest? No one really, because Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips are going to sit behind the ball and protect the middle of the pitch. Trippier will try and get forward on the right-hand side. Shaw will try and get forward on the left but they don't have the end product that wingers do, out-and-out wingers or inside forwards, if you want to call them that. So it's it's just hard to see. They're going to plod away. But three games, they haven't conceded a goal, which is great. That's what it's all about, keeping clean sheets. But they've only scored two goals in those three games. And those three games have all been at Wembley, games that everyone expected them to win. So uh, I'm not too sure many English fans would have picked the side that Gareth Southgate has picked, albeit he's the manager. But I think they wanted to see a little bit more ambition. So we're talking uh, Euro 2020, talking Scotland uh, later on as well, because it's really not that far away. Uh, Scotland pick up their World Cup qualification campaign and uh, a couple of tasty away games uh, are, are up next with a home game against Moldova in the middle, uh, but away games to Denmark and, and against Austria, um, which on the back of what we've seen over the last fortnight uh, is shaping up as, as pretty tough. Uh, the club scene uh, revives pretty soon, of course, League Cup. Ninth, is that 9th of July, Craig? July. That, that, that starts. So that's uh, well, that's less than 10 days away, isn't it? We're on the last day of June. And uh, Celtic play Mitchelland three weeks tonight in the Champions League qualifiers. Uh, and I guess all the transfer talk, most of the transfer talk at the moment in terms of incoming, uh, surrounds 
Uh, central defenders like Sir George Baldock mentioned Mario Vuskovic, uh, Eric Sviatchenko. He's on the show tomorrow night with us. Uh, so that's going to be well worth listening to a possible return to Celtic Park for him. And also the Japanese international co Itakuru, uh, who's a Manchester City player, but he's been on a loan uh, in Dutch football. He's been playing with uh, Groningen. So maybe not too surprising that, that a lot of the, the gossip at the moment, the, the transfer rumours, Crags, are, are surrounding defence. Well, it is, and particularly Celtic, because they need so many. You know, the minute they've got Tony Ralston, who extended his deal by a year, well, he must be 22-23. And if you're not an established Celtic player 22-23, you wonder, is it ever going to come? I mean, it seems a shame, probably to say it, but has he been signed for a numbers game? Because they don't have another right back at the club. Mm. So if they want to start pre-season games, they need someone to play in that position. So ultimately for him... Uh, it, it may not be ideal but it gives him another opportunity to go and show the new manager what he can do so he's got to make sure he goes and grabs it Greg Taylor's been away with Scotland so will he come back into training immediately he hasn't played any games you'd imagine he'd want to start training right away but he's going to need a break at some stage so he's a left back that's the only left backs to have Christopher Ayer's making noises about wanting to get away Christopher Julian's back Stephen Welsh so you know they really are low in numbers and the players that bring in Rob have to go into the first 11 there's no point in bringing them in just to be squad players the players that Postacoglu signs now need to go into the first 11 because you're right three weeks away from a huge game and as much as he's saying you know we want to focus on the longer term and have a picture and have a philosophy and I know how my team wants to play you go out of the Champions League early against Mitchelland and you go out heavily the pressure is on immediately Could Josh Doig be one for Celtic? I mean, there's lots of talk about him heading south. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's already an auction, it seems, underway for his signature. So you, you imagine the, that price is, is rising day by day and week by week. But would he be a player that you would think would fit into that, that, that Celtic team? And obviously, you know, the Celtic supporters will feel that their fingers have been burned a few times in the recent past, mm-hmm. you know, missing out on players in Scotland who are right under their nose. I just wonder, can Celtic afford to pay four million pounds for someone who will be work in progress. He may suit Rangers a little bit better. I know we spoke beforehand, but they've got Borna Barisic playing every week. Would someone like Josh Doig come in and allow him to feel his way into the club? You know, be like Nathan Patterson, be a backup where he might play 15, 20 games. He can get used to how Rangers want to play, for example. Uh, and there's not pressure to focus every single week to go and perform because he's got Borna Barisic there. Whereas I think if he went to Celtic, there might be more pressure on him to go and deliver what is a 19-year-old. You know, would Celtic be prepared to spend 90 million on a project? I think now Postacoglu may need players to come in immediately, Rob, and play. Yes, listen, Josh Dog would probably play, but he's still got a little bit of learning to do in his game. You think of the, the Scottish Cup final when he lost his header at the back post against mm. Sean Rooney. Yeah. Just little things like that were, because you're exposed to so much football early on, you're going to make mistakes. And Celtic need to get their signings right. They can't afford to have that. But certainly, I would imagine both halves of the old firm, if they've got £4 million, and they're prepared to go and get a young player who will be a Scotland international, will be a regular for one of those two sides in the next three or four years, then it'll be a smashing deal. We're talking Celtic uh, transfer rumours. We're talking about Alfredo Morelos as well. Uh, Will he be moving on from Rangers in the next little while with uh, uh, the links to Porto growing by the day? We're also talking England against Germany at Euro 2020 at Wembley. Uh, 21 and a half minutes gone and it's nil-nil The Go Radio Football Show talking football first Listen live weeknights from five Cheers Chris and uh, he's back in about 20 minutes with a a travel update the uh, Euro 2020 update uh, tells us that after 26 minutes at Wembley, still goalless between England and Germany. They're playing for a place of course in the quarterfinals the last game of the last 16 
is at Hamden. So uh, we still do have a connection with the tournament, even though the national team are out. It is Sweden against Ukraine, and that is uh, an eight o'clock kickoff. Early pressure in the game from Germany, but at the moment uh, it's England who look to have the better of it, Crags. They do. They've wrestled the game back into their favour, Rob. And you know, young Saka is. Uh, to be fair, Harry Maguire should do better there. What seven or eight yards out? yards out with a free header in the middle of the six-yard box area so he should do better with that but I think Saka has come off the game and starting to link it up a little bit better for someone so young he shows great maturity he's doing really well uh, Raheem Sterling's doing okay Harry Kane still hasn't had many opportunities uh, the Germans are starting to sit a little bit deeper England's starting to dictate possession a little bit so that'll certainly please the home side I'm not too sure it'll please the Scotland fans watching and listening but it'll certainly please the home yeah. fans uh, the Dutch and the French are out uh, real surprise that uh, that France lost out to Switzerland last night but it, it was a really tidy performance I mean uh, there are lots of teams have, have grabbed the eye and, and a lot of teams that maybe you weren't expecting to catch the eye as well obviously the, the Czech Republic are through Frank De Boer has lost his job what sort of reflections do you think Stevie Clark is having now he said he's had plenty of time to think about it he'll have watched back the tapes he'll have got all the, the figures the facts and figures behind everything what do you think he'll be thinking as he, as he looks back a missed opportunity? I think so. And I said to you earlier on that some people are taking a little bit of comfort and saying, well, Czech Republic done well and Croatia are a good side. But I think, you know, Scotland shouldn't be underestimated with the players that they had, Rob, and the quality they have on their side. I think it's quite clear that in the first game against Czech Republic, when Steve Clark made the sub at half time and took off Ryan Christie and brought on Shay Adams, that's the way he should have started. Mm. And I think that will be a regret from him, the fact that he didn't start with those two strikers. He didn't trust them enough because when you looked at the performance, particularly down at Wembley and the problems they caused, you'll think I should have went with those two. So that was him trying to rectify a decision he, not say he got wrong, but you know a choice he probably should have made going with two strikers as opposed to one and one off. I just felt some of the substitutions over the, the first game and the third game slightly reactive instead of proactive, you know, making positive substitutions. You know, he made the substitutions in the second half of each game when they were behind. When certainly 2-0 he brought on the likes of Callum McGregor and, and Ryan Fraser and James Forrest in the first game against the Czechs. Could he have made that at half-time? Could he really have pushed it a little bit more? And the exact same in the third game against Croatia. When they get to 1-1 at half-time and you think, it hasn't, not it hasn't been good enough in the first half, but we're getting overrun. Our wing-backs our wing are getting pinned back into a five. We can't get up the pitch. It's giving them lots of space to play. Because I had said previously, I'd imagine at 40-odd minutes, he must have thought, this is not working. I need to do something different, particularly against Croatia. I need to do something different. 3-5-2 is not working. You scored 42, 43 minutes. It shouldn't change your thinking. You should still believe to yourself, I still need to change it because it was 65% but to the Croats and 35% Scotland. Did he maybe need to pin their full-backs back? Did he need an extra man in midfield? Did he need to do something different? And he may look at small things and think, I've had been more proactive with my substitutions. It may have benefited. Of course, that's hindsight and you can speak about it. It's not a criticism. It's just an observation that when you understand why or you look at why they've lost games, what could he have done different? And I imagine that's the way he'll be thinking. I mean, we we saw a great, uh, a classic performance in many ways from Billy Gilmore at Wembley, and and which made it all the all the more disappointing that he wasn't available for for the next game. Uh, Nathan Patterson had a very enjoyable cameo appearance as well. I think he probably confirmed what we all suspected in that he's a player overflowing with confidence, um, and we want to see more of him. What you're, I mean, you're our David Turnbull correspondent because you yeah. what you watched him growing up yeah. as a as a Motherwell player. Is that a bit of a disappointment and maybe a bit of a surprise that he didn't feature? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand what the reason would have been. You know, if he's putting on Kevin Nisbet and and, and uh, 
Nathan Patterson with about seven or eight minutes to go in the last game, he still had room for one more sub. You know, surely I'd have put David on just even to give him a little feel for it to try and wet his appetite. It's supposed to kind of, uh, not grievance, but the thought process behind the third game, when you lose Billy Gilmer, you lose a ball play midfield player. You know, you lose someone who can take the ball under pressure, who can link up the play, who knows when to speed the game up, knows when to slow it down. So it gives you a foothold in the game. That's what he gave at Wembley. So when you take that kind of player out, if you want the same kind of performance and same ownership of the game against Croatia, you have to replace like for like. Mm. And Stuart Armstrong wasn't like for no. like. You know, we watched Stuart Armstrong in the first game and he was caught in possession. He was overrunning the ball. He's a ball carrier, Stuart Armstrong, and he's probably better when he came on against England at Wembley when the game's opened up and he can carry the team forward with a counter-attack and run. Do you, think, just, do, you, do you think that affected his performance? That maybe he felt he was a fish out of water in that third game as well against Croatia, that, that he was being asked to do something that he yeah. really didn't have the skill set for. Um, and because because he, he'd be the first to admit, I'm sure Stuart Armstrong, that he didn't deliver in the way we've seen him delivering for Southampton all season long. Yeah, you're right. Maybe he was being asked to play a different role take the ball under pressure and link up the play and that's not him. So what happens is you start doing it because the manager wants you to do it and then you get caught in areas of the pitch you shouldn't really be in or where you're not comfortable being in. And that's why I said, if you're going to replace Billy Gilmer, the only other like-for-like -like ball playing midfield player like that who can absorb the pressure, who can take the ball, who can play with his back to goal is David Turnbull. Mm. You know, John Fleck is a good player playing in the Premier League or was playing in the Premier League now in the Championship of Sheffield United but I don't think he's like-for-like -like for Billy Gilmer. So if you want the same type of performance and the same kind of um, style of play, Rob, you have to replace like for like. You can't ask players to do something that is not their main attribute. You know, yes, they have strengths and, and you know, Stuart Armstrong has strengths, but not as a link-up player in midfield. And then Callum McGregor's getting the ball and thinking, who do I pass to? Yeah. Is, that, is that deeper than ideal for David Turnbull? Is that is that slightly deeper well, than you'd ideally have him? Well, he could, listen, you could have played a one and a two. You could mm, play with Callum yeah. McGregor at the bottom mm -hmm. and then when he's passing the ball forward, he can pass it. But, you know, you look at David Turnbull, he drops deep into midfield. He doesn't always just play and try and play in that number 10. He's quite happy and come and take it off the back four. And what that does is it, it draws players to you, which means then he can turn balls around the corner, he can give it to McGregor, who can get balls into the striker. You know, you try and draw the opposition in the areas they don't want to get into. And he can take that ball under pressure, he can bring players to him, he can take a touch, he can turn a man. There's just so many attributes David has and I'm thinking that's what Scotland looked as if they lacked in the third game. And yes, it was a big game to put him in, but it was a big game to put Billy Gilmer in at Wembley. And he delivered. Yeah. So I would have no doubt that David Turnbull would have delivered in that game. That's just me. People say, oh, you're just being biased towards David. I'm not. I'm just trying no. to work out why he didn't go like for like or near enough like for like when Billy Gilmer wasn't fit. Yeah, I'd like to have seen him in involved at some stage. And, and, and the word that comes to mind uh, for me with David Turnbull is poise. He's got that poise. He, yeah. You know, he can he can really hurt teams, and it just it didn't seem that we had enough in our armory to hurt Croatia, and we spent too much of the game just sitting back and watching them stroke the ball around. Well, I think the first 15, 20 minutes was a high intensity, was pressing high, winning the ball back, slide tackles, winning headers, crosses into the box. But when you don't get your breakthrough in that period. Somewhere along the line, you've got to take a breather because you can't keep that going mm. for 45 minutes in the first half. And Croatia would have known, let's ride out the storm. Let's try and deal with these long balls. Let's deal with the crosses into the box. Let's allow Scotland to have all the energy early on. If they don't get the breakthrough, once they start to wilt and try and look for a second wind, that's then when we can impose our game onto Scotland. And that's exactly what happened. Because Perisic kept Stephen O'Donnell back. It kept McTominay back. They couldn't get up the pitch. Stephen O'Donnell was having to travel 40 yards, 50 yards to try and go and press someone. It's far too far, so he didn't go. So they ended up becoming pinned in as a back five and Croatia were able to find Modric in midfield and Persic coming off the side and Petkovic was a handful up front. 
So, you know, that's why I said to you, I felt as if something maybe should have changed because he changed the way against Israel when they played the 3-5-2 in one of the World Cup qualifiers and it didn't work. They were losing 1-0. Changed to a back four. Uh, yes, it's not against the same quality of opposition, but he changed the system and it worked. And that's why I thought it was made for him to change the system at half-time, potentially get two wingers on, take one of the centre-halves off uh, and go for it from there. But you're right, poise of David Turnbull, I think composure. And I'd said last week about Billy Gilmer. Billy Gilmer would play the same at Wembley as what he would with his mates down at Ardrossan is where Stevie, <laughs> Stevie Clark's uh, yeah. city was from and a five-a-side pitch and David Turnbull would be the same mm. if we went and played five-a-sides with David Turnbull he would play the exact same way with us as what he would for Celtic first team or Scotland he just takes the ball and makes things happen and he wants it under pressure he wants to get shots off so that's why I was kind of surprised that he didn't do that kind of change I'm trying to remember James Forrest came on in the first game uh, and made a, gave Scotland something really positive that they didn't have down the right-hand side uh, I thought he had a big impact in that game did we see him afterwards? Did he, no, did he feature he in the other two games? We Not at all. I, f I find that really surprising. Because right. how many times... And Ryan Fraser the same? Yeah. Well, right, yeah, I feel as if, but even just I feel as if Ryan Fraser you know, featured, but, but James Forrest almost vanished after, yeah. after what was a really uh, impressive show in the first game against Czech Republic. I'd imagine there'd be a few players scratching their head of why they didn't get a little bit more game time, particularly when the team were crowned out at times for a little bit more creativity in the final third of the pitch. Because when you've got two centre-forwards, you know the one thing that Scotland wanted to do was put plenty of crosses into the box. But against Croatia, because their wing-backs were so deep, they couldn't get up. Whereas James Forrest's instinct, for example, wouldn't be to sit back and sit behind the ball. His instinct would be to go forward, which sometimes can take the team with you, even just eliminate an opponent. Nothing against Stephen O'Donnell. He's a good pass with the ball and he's decent in possession, but he doesn't dribble past people and doesn't have a change of pace and can't skip inside and play a 1-2, whereas James Forrest could. And that's why, you know, we spoke about it ahead of the Wembley game that would he have went with James Forrest he didn't but then when it's 1-1 at half time against Croatia at home you think right Scotland need to do something different they need players on the pitch who can eliminate an opponent who can hurt the opposition who can dribble past someone uh, and then Steve Clark waited until it was 2-1 uh, before he made one change then it went 3-1 and he made another couple of changes so uh, yeah I'd imagine there's a few players not wondering why they didn't get more game time but they'll be thinking you know, possibly should have had more game time it's still goalless at Wembley between England and Germany. Euro 2020, about nine minutes left of the of the first half. And, uh, well, a few minutes ago, uh, while we were talking Scotland there, um, we saw a classic bit of Timo Werner, didn't we? With the pace uh, and the ability to, to get in behind the England defence. And then, unfortunately, the inability to, to, to finish off. Because, Jordan, yes, Jordan Pickford made a decent save, but uh, it was a real chance, wasn't it, for Germany to go in front? It was, and that's you know, what they've probably waited for and that's why Timo Werner will play as that centre-forward uh, and, and kind of rotate with Thomas Muller because if, if uh, you know, they can try and draw Alexa Kyle Walker out, they can try and draw uh, Harry Maguire out on the left-hand side, that's then the kind of space that Werner can exploit. You know, if he is going to start off the left-hand side, he wants to make little diagonal runs in behind uh, Kyle Walker to get himself 1v1 against John Stones and, the, you know, there's not many players in world football when Timo Werner's got his head down and he's got 30 or 40 yards of grass in front of him are going to catch him. But then, as a Kelly Seal, he doesn't get himself enough goals. That's been the frustration with Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea with him. He gets himself into some really good areas but uh, doesn't score enough goals. Just when we see uh, Jockey Lowe, this could be his last game tonight as Germany manager, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and he's that, They've probably been saying that for quite a while but, mm. you know, I think the deeper they go into this competition, uh, the more likely you think this could be his last game, this could be his last game. And one thing is he won't want to go out at Wembley, put it that way. It's the Go Radio Football Show. Hopefully we're giving you a pleasant antidote to uh, what can sometimes be uh, one-sided uh, coverage 
of England games. It's against Germany, of course. Uh, such a rivalry between the pair of them. England's last knockout win against Germany was in 1966. I believe we've heard uh, once or twice uh, about that tournament. Um, so it's still nil-nil with uh, seven first half minutes to go at Wembley. We were talking about Scotland and, and looking back and... And when you look forward, Craigs, uh, you look forward to uh, three matches in quick succession in September, the World Cup qualifiers. Of course, it was uh, five points on the board from the first three. Uh, that 2-2 draw with, uh, with Austria kicked things off. Uh, so the reverse fixture is coming around uh, for that one on the 7th. But the first game for Scotland is 1st of September. It's away as well. I presume it'll be in Copenhagen. Um, and it's Denmark. And you look at what those two teams have uh, have shown to us over the last fortnight and, and realise how tough those are going to be. Well, the sad part of it is all this feel-good factor around qualifying for a major tournament. I think the World Cup naturally is more difficult because only one team out of the group goes. And I think then the eight best runners-up go into playoff positions or possibly nine uh, best teams. But you're looking and thinking, if results don't go your way, your World Cup campaign could be over on the 7th of September. You know, it's a busy seven days, that is, yeah. Rob. You know, you're away yeah. to Austria, home to Moldova, game you have to win, and you're even not winning that isn't even worth thinking about, and then having to go to Austria. So, two huge games for them, both away from home. It may set, uh, suit Steve Clark how they play, sitting mm -hmm. behind the ball, playing counter-attacking football, home team having to be the aggressors. So, it'll be interesting to see what he does. Would you sign right now for two away draws, you know, which would make it draw home and away with Austria, and it would mean a draw away to, to Denmark with the home game still to come and then three points against Moldova. Yep. That doesn't sound that exciting, yep. but actually it, it could well be a tight group and that, and, yeah, and that would help to make it a tight group. That's the key. The key is when you play against the, the bigger teams in the group that you don't lose. You know, you don't want to give them any kind of foothold in the game because if you lose the first one, then you're probably going to have to win the second one against Austria. You're probably going to have to win home against Denmark. So it puts a little bit more emphasis on it. But if you can then take the end of two draws, you're cutting each other's throat, which means then when it boils down to games further into the group, then you can go and win. But certainly I would imagine Steve Clark and Scotland would settle for two draws away from home, two positive results, and a, a, a comparable home win against Moldova to you know get another five points, ten points from six games would certainly be okay. It seems like a, a distance away at the moment, but uh, those games will very quickly loom up over the horizon. Don't worry about it. Denmark away on the 1st of uh, September, the 4th of September for Moldova at home. I guess that's going to be at Hamden, although you would you just feel that's a game that should be played somewhere else where there, um, if there is going to be a crowd, let's hope by then we're back to big crowds um, and maybe somewhere like Easter Road or Tynecastle would make more sense in terms of where to play. That one then, it's the 7th of uh, September, Austria away from home World Cup qualifiers coming up for Scotland in terms of the England-Germany game which is uh, approaching half time at Wembley minute left of the first half England nil Germany nil The Go Radio Football Show talking football first listen live weeknights from five Your alternative coverage of the first half of England against Germany at Wembley Glasgow's own Go Radio the football show uh, no extra time and penalties for us uh, we're cutting back over the next few weeks just an hour of uh, prime football chat between five and six for you. Barry Ferguson is back with Paul uh, tomorrow between those hours and they'll be joined by Eric Sviatchenko. Much talk about him at the moment, a possible return to Celtic. We're talking on the show, of course, about what Celtic are likely to be doing in the transfer market. What 
about Rangers? Will there be outgoings? Um, Barry reckoned, um, I remember, well, this was a while ago that he was saying that he reckoned Rangers would uh, sell nobody in the course of the, the summer. I wonder if that's going to change. There's a lot of interest around Alfredo Morelos at the moment. Uh, could he be sold? Might this be the right time to sell him with two years of his contract left? Um, not much time left um, at Wembley. Uh, England Great against here, Germany. Kane, Rob. Harry Kane's oh, chance. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, he's he's taking too long, hasn't he, yeah. to to get the trigger pulled? It was uh, it was Raheem Sterling who who sucked in most of the England defenders. The ball broke the way of uh, Harry Kane. Didn't get the shot away. And was that Hummels doing the, Hummels with the late lunch. The defending, yeah, great, a great bit of. I mean, he's much criticised, isn't he, Mats Hummels for for having lost pace and all the rest of it, but he read that really well, didn't he? You'd have been proud of that, Craggs. You'd have been proud well, of that last-ditch defending. Well, the thing is, once you get older as a defender, you sense danger a little bit better. You put yourself in better positions when the opposition attack. You try and fill gaps. You try and cover people round about you. And that's exactly what he'd done. You know, he followed in in the instinct of Harry Kane, hoping if he has a heavy touch, I can intercept this. And, you know, that was Harry Kane who was lacking confidence. Seven or eight yards from goal, t- take a touch by the goalkeeper and slot it in. Mm. He would have done that no problem, but suddenly that weight of expectation, the captain's armband, the fans want you to score your first goal. You know you haven't scored, your future's up in the air. Spurs haven't got a manager, you stay in there, you're going somewhere else. All these things must come into a player's mind. And a fit and fresh uh, and uh, focused Harry Kane would have scored that goal in normal, in normal time, but unfortunately tonight he didn't. We're just looking at Gary Lineker and Alan Cheater and co uh, doing their little halftime uh, chat. We're thankfully not heeding it, uh, <laughs> but we are uh, doing a bit of lip reading. Uh, Jürgen Klinsmann is there as well. Um, I, lo- I, lo- I love the way he talks. Uh, he's got a great balance about his outlook on, on football, hasn't he? And uh, and he looks pretty relaxed and and happy with uh, with that first half. Maybe maybe that late late chance for England is that is that just would you give England the first half on points because of that lo- that late first half chance, or would you think even Stevens and nil nil's about right? No, I think when you look at uh, uh, Timo Werner's chance, it was probably the best of the first half up yeah. until. Uh, Harry Kane had that opportunity there so both sides have had a, a really good chance to score and haven't taken it but you're right Jurgen Klinsmann's quite calm and composed he doesn't get carried away he doesn't make ridiculous statements of what the score is going to be he just focuses on his own team he knows the Germans are a good side he knows they're probably a little bit in transition as well but he also knows the weight of expectation on this England side and he will know the German mentality just go get through the game look after the ball don't make any major errors don't give England any encouragement and the Germans have always got a goal in them you just look at Jürgen Klinsmann and you think, and David Beckham and sitting in the stand as well, and you think, where did it all go wrong for for, for these guys? He was. Do you do you remember when Klinsmann was was in the in the forefront of the of the diving brigade? Um, he was, where, yeah. where he where he he got himself a real reputation. I think maybe when he was a Tottenham player. He was Spurs, yeah, he yeah. was, yeah. It was very yeah. exaggerated how he it went was, down and contacted it? what he was going on, and saying that he was a good player. Oh, you know, he was. Saying earlier, that's probably what Germany are missing, a Jürgen Klinsmann. Uh, a Marislav closer a poacher someone in and around the box who can yeah. poach because Thomas Muller wants to play outside the box he wants to go and link up play and play in one of the wider areas as does Kai Havertz as does Timo Werner so they miss that out and out number nine who they can rely on always to be in the centre of the pitch and then the two out, uh, the two outside wide ones can cross and, and can interlink so all three of them want to do it but, but at, at some stage one of them has to play as a number nine and that's where the likes of Klinsmann and, and Marislav closer certainly played their part he was a great uh, goal scorer in the major tournaments, wasn't he, Miroslav Klose? And of course, uh, 
his records have been chased over a number of years by Cristiano Ronaldo and slowly he's he's ripped up the, the record books as he's gone and, and it's a bit of a shame uh, that Portugal aren't part of it anymore isn't it because uh, because he's such a he's such a big selling point in the tournament L- love him or hate him um, you know he just scores goals and he just keeps on breaking these incredible records yeah and also the fact that he's adapted his game as he's got older Rob he's realised he doesn't have that blister and pace anymore to get away from people you know when he was a young player uh, you know it was interesting to hear Graeme Souness talking about him the other night and, and saying is he one of the best players ever and he said yeah he is because of his longevity mm. you know you think Alexis George Best and, and he named George Best in that five or six year period George Best or seven year period he was phenomenal but it only lasted six or seven years you know and being from Northern Ireland it's hard to say listen George was one of the best in the world but Ronaldo certainly is in that category because he's done over 17 or 18 years you know, he started as a wide player who had loads of tricks. He then became a wide player who would drive forward, drive inside, score lots of goals. He's now a centre-forward who wants to come off and link up. So he's he's had to reinvent himself a couple of times, but he's never got away from scoring goals and big goals. He scores in the big games and the major competitions. Uh, and I think, that, you know, the fact that he's out, I've warmed to him as he's got older because mm-hmm. I've understood the, de- you know, the, the dedication that he has, application to his profession. And any young players wanting to be Ronaldo... You know, Gary Neville spoke about it as well. The work rate he's had to go through, the the shape of his body, how well he's chiselled, how he eats, how he trains. Of course, he's got the finances to help him out in that aspect, but you still have to be mentally focused to do that day after day. Listen, he's a phenomenon. Yeah, and he's just equaled the Ali Dai's record, hasn't yeah. he? The the most ever international goals, 109. Uh, and that will that'll really frustrate him, won't it? That, that they've gone out of the tournament and he and he couldn't quite get past that 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 record. Uh, 109 international goals. I'm trying to think, is it maybe about 170, 180 Probably. caps? Something like that. Yeah. Which is just a ridiculous yeah. strike rate. I think it's is it 48 goals in his last 46 internationals. Yeah. You know, which is incredible. So and, yes, and five in this tournament. Yeah. Well, you know, it didn't happen in this tournament that he that he beat Ali Dai's record, but he'll just have to wait until September now. <laughs> you know, some people say it's his last major tournament. I think when you look at the World Cup being next November, December, it isn't that far away. So certainly he will hope to take Portugal to that World Cup. And I'd imagine that could be a swan song. You know, that could be the one he goes and thinks, I'll go and, you know, make another mark for myself. But Portugal probably as a team are starting to age a little bit with you know, I think the likes of Pepe mm. as well. And Ronaldo starting to come towards the end. It's just yeah. how will they replace those goals? That's always a big thing for a manager, whether it's international level or club level. How do you replace goals? Yeah. You know, at the club level, I suppose you can go and buy. International level, you have to hope someone within your country pops up and starts to score the goals in Scotland. I've had those issues also. Yeah, talking of uh, goal machines closer to home, Alfredo Morelos, lots of uh, buzz around his name at the moment and uh, um, lots of talk about Porto uh, building up to make an offer. Of course, you know, these stories uh, tend to circulate and, and very often they go away without any, anything actually happening. Um, does does the timing feel right? Do you, do you imagine Rangers might be ready to sell Alfredo Morelos with two years left on his contract? I think if they got a good offer, you know, if he got an offer of 15, 16, 17 million pounds with a with a sell-on clause of 10 or 20%, I would imagine Rangers would seriously look at it. Because he's been at the club almost four years, coming up four years, I think, this August. He's done the majority of things. He's scored in Europe. He's uh, he's won a, a major league title. He has scored a, in an old firm game. Okay, albeit only one. Uh, it's, it's one he's got. Is it one old firm goal he's got? I think it's just one. I think just the pardon, one, yeah. Pardon me, ignorance if it's two, but I think it's only one he scored at Celtic Park. So then you look and think, yeah, you know, he hasn't won a domestic cup and he hasn't played in the Champions League. But I would imagine also as an individual player for Morelos, if he was offered ten or £15,000 a week more, 
he wouldn't want to hang about for a Champions League qualifier, a couple of qualifiers in case Rangers didn't get there. So I think the Rangers fans have to take into perspective that a lot of players like Alfred Morelos just come and pass through their club. You know, they come in, they do well, they score goals, they do the job it's asked. Remember, he cost a million pounds. Yeah. If you get 15, 16, 17, yeah. 18 million pounds, the return on that investment is incredible. That is proper or is a proper business model. And that's what the Rangers fans have to look at and think. They'd love him to stay. Is it possibly time? Well, I think once a player goes into the last two years of his contract, he either has to go this summer or in January to get proper value. Because come next summer, like Odson Edward, when he's got a year left or mm. under a year, he might just sit tight. He'll only be 24, 25. He might think, I'll sit tight. I'll sign a pre-contract somewhere else. And Rangers and Celtic can't afford that. They need to get money for their top players and try and get the proper price in the market for them. And that, for me, would either be this, Jan or this summer or January. And that's where Celtic have uh, done so well, isn't it, in recent years in, in recruitment and finding the right time to sell as well, getting value for, for players, the likes of, you know, you think back to Virgil van Dijk and, uh, uh, well, the, the list is kind of endless Wanyama, of, of players Wanyama, that Celtic have. Yeah, exactly. That, also, you're yeah, getting 25 moving million, them so. on at a profit after you've ha yeah. actually got value on the pitch. And, and, and Alfredo Morelos certainly comes into that category. He has delivered... Yeah. And, and maybe the time's going to be right because maybe maybe in a year's time he's not scoring goals no. at that volume and he's only got a year left on his deal. Well, I think also he'll be looking, you know, coming from, from South America, he'll maybe want to move a little bit closer to home. He'll want to go and play in a different league in Europe. You know, he won't want to keep going back to Motherwell four times a season and go back to Livingston four times a season. Sometimes players come and they think, I've done my job, I've done my time. You know, I've still got two years left in my contract because if Rangers aren't going to sell him and they're thinking of keeping him, they're going to have to give him a new deal, Rob because they can't afford to end up in the same situation as what Celtic have with Odds and Edward, but he's now under a year left in his contract. Yeah. And they're now starting to panic and think, will we get money for him? Will we get any return on our investment? He was their star signing and their biggest ever signing, £9 million. They can end up getting nothing for him if they don't sell him between now and next... Well, sorry, either this window or January. So Rangers won't, won't want to be in that situation. We've heard Stuart Robertson talking about it, saying business model, we need to sell players. We need to have transfer fees coming in. They can't always be going out... So you look at the likes of Morelos, you look at the likes of Kamara, you look at Ryan Kent, they're probably their, their, um, their star players with yeah, regards to biggest assets, yeah. So they're going to have to make a, a, a sale somewhere. Nil-nil at Wembley, half-time, uh, England uh, against Germany. Just briefly, Craigs, how's it going to go second half? Uh, I can say go on the penalties. Yeah. I don't think either team will commit. I think the longer the game goes, the more cautious both teams will come. But if there is going to be a goal, it could be a single goal that wins it. Thank you very much and thanks to you for listening as well. Just about finished on the Go Radio Football Show for tonight. Time flies when it's only an hour. Uh, Paul and Barry tomorrow night. Eric Sviatchenko uh, joins us as well for that one. I'm back on Thursday with uh, Leanne Crichton heading for Hamden now for uh, Sweden against Ukraine, which is an eight o'clock kickoff and that follows England against Germany playing for a place in the quarterfinals. Joe Kilday up next. I'm joined now by Gary from OPC Energy. Gary, what a job you did out there today. Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. You saw the customers' faces when that boiler went in. It was a really special moment. And what about the overall performance? Unreal. You, you could really feel the heat out there. I'm delighted with the result and we move on to the next one. Thanks, Gary. Come on! For more information on boiler upgrades, heat pumps and more, visit opc-ltd.uk. Get ahead of the game with OPC Energy.